coming up, running in the engine on a modern car, like a performance car, or even the kind of car a peasant would buy. Is that still a thing, or is it all just a myth from the 70s? I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that's up there now, dude. This is from you, or at least it's from you if your name is Damo from East Gippsland. He's about to buy an i30N DCT. Yes. And he just wants to know, like, it's a new baby, I guess, and he wants to make sure that he takes care of it so that the Department of Community Services is not called for a, you know, inconvenient explanation. I'm needing some advice when it comes to running in my impending new DCT i30N performance. Having never owned a performance car before, I was hoping you could impart some of your vast experience my way. Damo, I'm... Terribly sorry to hear that your desperation has come to this. You've had to approach me. I mean, Jesus, mate, nobody deserves that. However, I will try and help you. And up front, I would say that there is a tremendous amount of beard stroking among so-called experts on this issue, isn't there? I mean, these people have hardly ever had their hands on the tools. They've certainly never worked professionally in any of that kind of domain. They've never asked professionals about this. And yet... They have advice from you about how to do it. So I would respectfully suggest that in the 70s, this might have been a thing, right? Because manufacturing technology was worse back then. Materials weren't as good. Clearances weren't as good. Mass production techniques were certainly not as good. The vehicles were not as high quality and they weren't built to the same tolerances. And even more importantly, perhaps engine oil was shit back then and in exactly the same way that it is not now. I mean, we've transitioned from mineral oils virtually across the board to synthetic oils today, and they do a bunch of things, right? The oil is super slippery when it's cold, okay? So meaning it's got a very low viscosity. So it's easy to pump through the oil galleries from a cold start. So there's really not the same lag in between starting the engine and the full system being pressurised with decent oil flow. And yet, these synthetic engine oils still manage to maintain a really tough film that separates the parts, right, at high temperatures. So the, the cross-temperature performance of oil really has improved. And all of this stuff together means that there is a significant difference between running in an engine in the olden days and running in the engine on your i30N DCT or essentially any other new vehicle that you buy today. Demo goes on. I have been informed that the first 1,000 kilometre, the RPMs are to be held under 3,000. As I live in a rural area, I was hoping to gain some idea of the best way to run in the vehicle. My first observation here is that any time one of these beard stroking tools gives you advice like that they, they really don't know what they're talking about because not all 3000 rpm operational cases are the same are they there's a vast difference as far as your engine's concerned between just sort of loping along down a gentle gradient at 3000 rpm or powering uphill overtaking a truck 
through 3,000 at wide open throttle on the way to higher revs to get around a truck under pressure or something, okay? And load is more important than the revs when it comes to running an engine in, to the extent that you even have to do that. So I'd put it to you like this. You're about to take delivery of a new baby, and that's how it's going to seem. The dealership's going to treat it like that, and you're going to treat it like that. But the i30 NDCT, it's just a machine, dude. And as long as you've got reasonable mechanical sympathy, then it's going to be okay in the running in period, which let's say arbitrarily 1,000 kilometres, let's quote unquote run it in. Okay, so just do this. Do not go from the showroom floor to the nearest racetrack and qualify. That would kind of be a mistake, okay? But driving normally, absolutely fine. And if you really want to be a pedant on this, not that it should be necessary, all you've got to do is just up the load progressively over the first thousand Ks, all right? So drive a bit gently for the first few hundred and then drive a little bit more aggressively, assertively, whatever, after that. And then once you get past a thousand, just go nuts, dude. Drive it how the maker intended that car to be driven, all right? And what I'd suggest is, furthermore, that it's a bad idea to just get on the freeway and spend a thousand Ks at the one speed and the one set of loads, like just doing a hundred in top gear, probably a bad idea, probably vary it a little bit more than that, do a little bit of accelerating and a little bit of backing off and a little bit of, you know, 3000 RPM operation, a little bit at 4000, a little bit of cruising, stuff like that. And the final thing I'd suggest is, if you possibly can, I'd minimise the number of cold starts, all right? Because cold starts is where all of the engine wear really happens. And what you want to do is spend the maximum amount of that first 1,000 Ks with the engine at its normal operating temperature. That gets all the parts at their operating temperature, and that's when the clearances between them are sort of optimised, right? So if you do 3Ks to the train station and back each day, that's like 6Ks a day, which is like 160 days or something before you get to 1,000Ks. That's a bad way to run in your engine because it spends a lot of its time cold, which would be operating with all of the parts at suboptimal clearances. Whereas if you did a few 100K drives, which should be easy to do out there in the boonies, right? That's going to be much better because proportionally your engine's going to operate at its normal operating temperature for much more of that 1000 Ks. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. And if you can possibly do that, I'd be doing it that way. But I wouldn't be obsessed about it. I just wouldn't be racing a performance car straight out of the blocks. I'd be driving it reasonably conservatively for 500. I don't see any reason why it should be necessary to keep the revs under 3000 for the first however long. That's nuts, okay? Just don't drive it like you stole it for a thousand and increase progressively the harshness of its operation and vary the way you use it. Now, Damo's got one more question here. I was intending on having both oil and filter replaced at 1,000 kilometres. Do you think this is necessary for a modern performance car? Appreciate any advice you could provide. 1,000k oil chains, right? It's like chicken soup when you've got a cold or spending a two-week lockdown in Sydney, nude from the waist down. Like, it just can't hurt, dude. And it might help. It might make you feel better. The worst-case scenario is... 
it's not going to make any difference, okay? So, yeah, knock yourself out. If you want to do that, change the oil. I mean, the theory here is that any contaminants picked up by the oil during this break-in period can be just disposed of quickly and they don't circulate through the system. But frankly, I would have to say that that first thousand kilometres of operation is not going to destroy the oil's capacity to lubricate. And what is really going to happen here is the filter might just pick up a few more particles for the first thousand k's of operation or something during this notional you know break-in period to the extent that that still exists. It can't hurt to do it. It's probably not going to make any difference to the life or operation of your engine. There's, it's just that, dude. Like, if it makes you feel better, do it. And if you don't, it's probably not going to hurt. But any of this, you know, beard-stroking rhetoric from 40 years ago from people with the best intentions but essentially zero knowledge of modern manufacturing or oil technology, I'd just be going, you know, it's like when your wife nags you, you just go, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. But what you really hear is, mm-hmm, and just think about boobies, dude. And now this from you. And now, a message of vital import from Boxhead. The dude, not the geographic location. Boxhead, what an interesting name. I can imagine 30 years ago, Mr and Mrs Head in the delivery ward, looking down at the foot of the bed at their new bundle of joy and agreeing that we think we're going to call this one Box. Dude, lucky you. I do hope the patrons at the local hotel are no longer referring to your parents by their nicknames, giving and receiving. That's the kind of joke that would tarnish fairly quickly, I suggest. And do say hi to your lovely sister, engorged over. Always dressed in purple. I don't know why. Mr and Mrs Head, young boxers, turned out quite okay. Think you'd agree. I am growing tired of your constant derogatory comments regarding my hometown, Dingo Piss Creek. I understand that you are incapable of embracing the necessary masculinity that is required in order to enjoy the great outdoors here at the creek. Well, thank you so much, Box, for taking the time to communicate and how... Utterly delightful it is to hear from an authentic Piss Creekian for a change. I understand that it's been extremely difficult to get a message out since the declaration of world heritage status for your region and also, you know, the proclivity of sacred sites all around. It is very difficult now. And let me assure you that as your next Prime Minister, one of my fundamental duties, one of the first things I will do is appoint myself Minister for Dingo Piss Creek and just get a big fat bulldozer and clear away some of that red tape and hopefully the people attached to it. This will be one small thing I can do on that day to make Australia less shit. Far be it from me to criticise you for your effeminate need for five-star lodgings. However, I would just like to point out that some of us are real men and like camping etc. A point extremely well made about diversity, young box. So important in the modern world. We're all in it together. I mean, you like this, I like that. Five Star, Shitsville, we're all 
Australians. It's a rich tapestry. We're all in it together. But on a point of order, I would suggest that I've never actually had a shot at camping. Dude, camping is a thoroughly worthwhile undertaking. More people should do it. And that is why one of my first acts in Parlement as Minister for the Creek will be the Under the Stars Bill. We're going to push that through. We've got the numbers. This will require all young Australians to spend, uh, just pulling a number out of my ass, uh, 100 nights under the stars at the creek. Yes. Before they may get their books stamped and graduate to adulthood and drive a car and vote and things of that nature. It could harden up a few millennial snowflakes on the way too, and that would be no bad thing in my view. However, caravanning is not camping. It's never been camping. It's never going to be camping. It is not possible to get away from it all when you are towing it all just behind you. It's not. Nothing, I'd suggest, screams emphatic whack job quite as loudly as the compulsion to drop $100,000 over here on a brand new Land Cruiser and $100,000 on an acoustically transparent aluminium chitois and then jam the snout of this one up the bum of that one and take your number ones and number twos on an endless outback adventure. (laughs) This is why... Intelligent extraterrestrial life continues to decline to make official contact, despite all of the probing they've been doing so enthusiastically for decades now. 